Well, good morning, River Oaks. Uh, my name is James Post. I am the campus minister at the University of Oklahoma, uh, and it's really sweet to be with y'all this morning, uh, especially for me, because actually the last time that I was here in this church for RUF Sunday, I was here uh, as an intern at the University of Arkansas, never imagining that I would end up uh, back in this area of the country uh, afterwards. Um, so it's been a sweet opportunity for me to reflect on how kind Jesus has been uh, to me, not just over the past seven years, but over uh, the course of my entire life. Um, as Jonathan just said, RUF is, is the campus ministry of, of the, the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, of which this, this church is a part. Uh, we really exist on college campuses uh, with, with a goal that can be summed up in two words. We're trying to reach students for Jesus and we're trying to equip them to serve. We're trying to reach uh, because college is actually this amazing uh, evangelistic opportunity. Everybody who is a college student, whether or not they grew up in the church uh, or they grew up uh, never hearing the name of Jesus, comes asking all of the same questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my place in the world? Can I be okay can I change from who I am and I know I'm not supposed to be into what I know that I should be? Uh, so RUF enters into those spaces uh, to, to call people to Jesus and then to equip them to serve, to serve their campus, to serve the local church, uh, to serve everybody that they come into contact with uh, through the gospel. The only means that we have to do that is the proclamation of uh, the gospel. It is an amazing job. I cannot believe they pay me to do this. Uh, I, it's, it's incredible. Um, but the, the fun thing about getting to be with college students is that they are honest and they will ask you honest questions. And so some of those make the rounds more often uh, than others. And one of the ones that I get with, with some sort of frequency, it goes something like this. Why should I actually be a Christian? Uh, meaning, why should I be a Christian instead of, uh, let's say, a, a Buddhist? Uh, or a Muslim? Or, or why can't I even be sort of like a really well-meaning agnostic who, who lives a moral life uh, and who does good uh, in their community? After all, once you really take it and boil down the message of all of these religions or belief systems, at their core level, don't they all kind of fundamentally teach the same thing? Why be a Christian if they're all the same? My answer to that question is actually, uh, there is maybe a version of Christianity that is the same of, of all, as all of those things, but that version of Christianity is not Jesus' Christianity. In fact, Jesus' Christianity uh, doesn't often look like our version of Christianity. Uh, maybe uh, I, th I think all of us grew up with some, uh, or many of us grew up with some idea of what a lost person looks like. Uh, we even uh, think about uh, the parable of, of the prodigal son. Uh, many of us are familiar with the prodigal son, even if you didn't grow up in, uh, in, in Bible, uh, with a Bible background. But just in case, uh, the prodigal son, right, is that story about uh, the son who, who looks at his father and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead because then I would have your money. So why don't we go ahead and, depend, and pretend like that actually has already happened. Uh, and so his father says, okay, um, for some reason, and sells off uh, property and, and gives it to the son. Uh, and then the Bible tells us the son went and he wasted it all. He squandered it all in riotous living uh, on uh, prostitutes and gambling. Normally when we think about what it looks like to be lost, that is what we picture. The problem is, even the parable of the prodigal son starts out, there is a man, there was a man who had two sons. 
And actually, a lot of the force of the prodigal son is not about the younger son, but about the older son, the son who stays at his father's house, the son who continues to work for his father, the one who has an externally perfect religious life. And yet, at the end of the story, we find out that the the older son is actually just trying to use his father in the same way as his younger brother was. He's just a lot less honest about it. And what Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable is, look, being lost looks more, uh, there's more than one way to be lost. It can, yes, look like the younger brother, but it can also look like I go to church every Sunday. Being lost can look like I lead Bible studies. Being lost can look like I have a degree from seminary. And yet in my heart, I don't love God I'm using him for the benefit that he can bring to me. But if that's true, if it's true that Christianity, uh, that following Jesus, that being in Jesus' family looks a lot uh, more complicated, there's more to it than just simply external conformity, then the question I think we have to address is, how do we know that we're not lost? How do we know that we are near to Jesus, that we are inside of and part of his family? And I think that is actually the question uh, that, that Jesus is addressing here in our passage this morning with, with Nicodemus. So if you have your copy of God's word, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn uh, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 has uh, at least one of the most famous verses uh, in the Bible in it, uh, which often gets lost uh, from the context in which it was given. Uh, so John 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 21. This is the word of God. It is given to you. Oh, uh, please stand uh, for the reading of God. This is the word of God. It is not the words of a man. It is the speech of the creator to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. So what John writes. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one could do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or to where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that he may be clearly, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, which means that our bodies are going to grow old and die, but the word of our God is going to stand forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we need the light of your spirit to come and open our eyes and unstop our ears and, and show us Jesus in his beauty, in his glory, and in his love. Spirit, would you do that even this morning? Would you use a broken and crooked stick like me to point the narrow way that leads to him? I ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So if we had to sum up kind of what Jesus' message is to Nicodemus here, I think we can sum sum it up with the simple phrase, you must be born again. But we live in Oklahoma, which is part of the Bible Belt, and uh, born again is a a phrase that gets said so often that it it starts to sound a little bit like, you know when you were a kid and you would kind of say the same word over and over and over again, and eventually it stops sounding like it was a real word at all, and you're wondering, am I real? Am I living in a simulation? Uh, That that can be a little bit of what being born again can start to sound like to us. What does it actually mean to be born again? Glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. I think we're going to unfold that in uh, in three ways. Uh, there's there's uh, three either um, uh, uh, sections that, that we can look at or, or question. Thinking of them as questions helps me out um, uh, a lot of times. The, f- the first question I think is, uh, why do I need to be born again? What what is the need for spiritual rebirth that we face? Uh, the second one is just how. How do I get the new birth? What is the path to spiritual rebirth? And then finally, how do I know? What are the effects of, of spiritual rebirth that I can look at and see and know for, with confidence that I actually have the spirit in me? So if you're a note taker, the need for spiritual rebirth, the path to spiritual rebirth, and the effects of spiritual rebirth. Let's, let's turn and look first at the need for spiritual rebirth. Why do we need it? Uh, Nicodemus is probably the, the perfect uh, character for Jesus to teach uh, this message to and through, uh, right? Because if, if there was ever going to be somebody that you would just assume was in God's good books already, it would be a guy like Nicodemus. Uh, there's a couple of things that John immediately tells us about who Nicodemus is. Uh, first of all, he was a Pharisee. And second of all, he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, here today, 2,000 years after the Gospels have been written, uh, it, you guys probably know that if somebody looks at you and calls you a Pharisee, they're not giving you a compliment. They're saying there's something about who you really are that does not actually match with what you say you believe. But we have to remember that is after 2,000 years of reflecting on what the Bible says about the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees in Jesus' day? The Pharisees in Jesus' day were actually um, a a conservative theological movement that says, hey, listen, the reason that we lost the land was because we neglected God's word. And so what we actually need to do uh, to be different uh, from the nations around us is we need to return to the Bible. We need to return to God's law. 
We need to actually take his law seriously and we need to follow it uh, closely and to hide it in our heart because this is the way that we live wisely in the world that God has made for us. Nicodemus and and men like him uh, were supposed to be shining examples of the difference between God's people and the world around. They wore special robes and ornaments uh, to show the way that they were dedicated to God, heart, body, and mind, supposedly. So Jesus, or Nicodemus, is, is a Pharisee. Uh, he's also a ruler of the Jews. He's somebody with immense personal and political and social clout. And then to top it all off, Nicodemus comes saying the right things. He doesn't say, Jesus, prove that you are who you say you are. He says, Jesus, we know that you are from God. So here we see a man who lives a pure moral life, who loves the Bible, who's admired by his friends, and who says the words, Jesus, I know that you are from God. When we imagine somebody who's sort of on the inside, right? Somebody who knows God already, isn't that kind of the person that we imagine? In fact, more than that, sometimes when you start to think about your own personal life and you reflect on the ways that you don't feel like you are where you're supposed to be or you're, where, you're not where you're supposed to have already been, a lot of times don't we start to picture becoming somebody more like Nicodemus? What I mean is when you picture what it looks like to be spiritually mature, doesn't it normally, can't you normally sum it up uh, like with your, uh, with your New Year's resolutions of, I'm going to read my Bible more often. I'm going to pray more often. I'm going to know all these things. I, I want to be somebody who is, who is looked up to by my community. Don't we often tend to think spiritual maturity looks a lot like Nicodemus? Jesus looks at that man that man who also for Jesus would have made an amazing political ally. He would have smoothed out so many things with the Pharisees if Jesus could just get him on his team. Jesus looks at that man and he says, Nicodemus, you have missed the entire boat. You must be born again or you will not even be able to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is stunned, right? Like, we don't know this uh, for 100% certain, but there's, there's good reason to believe uh, that Nicodemus has come here tonight uh, to discover if Jesus is the Messiah, or at least if he is the Messiah the way that Nicodemus is expecting the Messiah. You see, Nicodemus and uh, his, his fellows were expecting a Messiah, a son of David, to come and deliver the people of Israel, but they were expecting him to come and deliver the people of Israel by picking up a sword and riding a horse and throwing the Romans out and reestablishing the throne of David so that God's promise would be upheld, that there would always be a son of David on the throne. They were expecting a political revolutionary, someone to bring Israel back to power to make them relevant again, And instead, Jesus comes saying, that's actually not the way that I'm going to build the kingdom of God. The way uh, that I'm going to build the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, is not through a political revolution, but through spiritual rebirth. And Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't even understand that? You also, Nicodemus, need to come in. You need rebirth 
to see the kingdom of God. And so y'all, if even Nicodemus needs to be born again, what does that say about us? We need new birth. You see, see the, the idea that the Bible has of sin is not that there are sort of sinful people out there somewhere doing bad things in the world, and if they would only stop their sinning and come in here where we've got it all together, then they would be okay. No, the, the Bible speaks pretty clearly, right? There is no one who's righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. All we, like sheep, have turned astray, and each of us has gone to our own way. Not you, not me, not anybody has ever been born separate from the poison of sin in our hearts. Uh, there was uh, a Russian author uh, in the last century uh, whose name I can never pronounce right, but it's something like Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he, he fought uh, in, in the Red Army uh, in World War II uh, against Nazi Germany, um, and, and in, his, in his youth, he, he believed that all that we have to do is conquer the ones who are evil, and then we can set the world right. Fast forward decades, he's branded a political traitor by the Russian government. He's thrown in the gulag, and in the gulag, he becomes a Christian. As he begins to reflect on his his earlier life, Solzhenitsyn, uh, he he says this, "If, if only it was that simple. If only there were evil people out there somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and the only thing we needed to do was separate ourselves from them and destroy them. But the border separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either but the border separating good and evil runs right through every human heart you see sin uh, sin is not sort of uh, a, a systemic problem that you can just fix by getting the right people in power and it's not a self-esteem problem that you can fix by just thinking more highly of yourself, and it's also not a moral problem that you can fix by just stopping the bad and starting the good. Sin is a being problem. Sin is something we were born with, and there is no way for us to escape from its effects unless we are spiritually reborn. If it's true for Nicodemus, then it must also be true for you and for me. So that's great. Okay, we're sinful. Uh, we, we need to be born again. Uh, many of us come from backgrounds where we are used to being shamed. Uh, so you're like, yes, I understand that part of the message. How do I get that? Let's turn and look at the, uh, the path to spiritual rebirth. Uh, you see, uh, Jesus' idea is baffling to Nicodemus. He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what are you talking about? It is impossible, I know, uh, to be born twice. And, and some people will get onto Nicodemus, like, see how much he doesn't understand? He doesn't even understand that Jesus isn't being literal. Nicodemus understands that Jesus is, is using a figure of speech. You must be born again. But he's saying, Jesus, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean I need to be born again? And so Jesus clarifies. He says, you have to be born again by the Spirit. And the Spirit, by the way, is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. Basically, he is saying you cannot actually control your spiritual rebirth. Kind of just like your first birth. Think about it for a second. Uh, How many of you chose who you were going to be born to? 
How many of you chose where, what century you were going to be born in or what language you would be born speaking or, or sort of the, the socioeconomic status of the family that you were going to be born into, which, by the way, are uh, some of the major factors, the most contributing factors in making you who you are today? Nobody, right? Not only did we not choose the, the context of our birth, we didn't choose to be born at all. It just happened to us. And so if we understand that that's what Jesus is saying, then, then Nicodemus's response makes a lot more sense, right? He's saying, Jesus, how are these things possible? Uh, meaning, uh, Jesus, if I'm totally out of control, if I don't have the ability to affect, to produce my new life in myself, if there's not uh, something I can try hard at or believe hard at, then Jesus, how, how can I be born again? And Jesus' answer is actually a little bit uh, surprising when we look at it, right? John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. Probably John uh, 3.13 through 15 probably is not as much. You probably didn't memorize that in Awanas growing up. Do they even still have Awanas? Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus a magical formula. He doesn't give him a new law to follow. He doesn't give him a, a journey of spiritual discovery to embark on. Instead, he says, Nicodemus, don't you get it? The new birth hasn't changed. The way that you get the new birth uh, is the same today as it has been ever since God has started calling people into his family. And then it says this in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And so here is where understanding your Old Testament is really important to understanding the New Testament, right? Uh, because Jesus immediately uses two Old Testament pictures uh, to, to tell Nicodemus about the new birth. Uh, the, the first one is just this title, Son of Man, um, which can be confusing if you read it from sort of an American perspective uh, where you're like, wait, Jesus, I thought you were the Son of God. Uh, why are you calling yourself the Son of Man? Um, it is, though, actually a claim to be the promised son uh, that was going to come and destroy the seed of the serpent back in Genesis 3.15. So he's saying, I'm the Messiah, and the way that salvation works is like the serpent in the wilderness, to which we say, the what? Uh, so if you rewind back to the book of Numbers, uh, uh, the, the Israelites are doing sort of their normal thing uh, where they say, hey, I know that you, God, delivered us from, from Egypt, uh, but now we're in the wilderness uh, and we're mad at you. Um, and it's not just being mad. It's like, actually, now what we're going to do is basically we're going to fire Moses by stoning him uh, and turn around and go back to Egypt. Uh, and so God, uh, this happens many times, um, Totally not like you and me. Uh, and uh, God sends, in this instance, uh, serpents. And they come, they bite the people, the people repent. And they say, Moses, ask God to deliver us. Uh, God says, and Moses says, God, what should I do? And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole. And then anybody who looks at it will be saved. Even in context, that's a strange story. Like there, there feels like there's something missing to what is going on. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I am that context that you are missing. The way that an Israelite was saved from the effects of his sin was by looking in faith to the plan that God had promised when there was no even ounce of his own work that he could look at and say, this is part of why I was delivered. 
The Israelite is saved by looking at the serpent lifted up. So you too, one day will see the Son of Man, the Messiah. This is how the Messiah has to come. He has to become, he has to come and be lifted up so that everyone who looks to him in faith will never die, but will have eternal life. It's exactly the same in the Old Testament as it is in the new. You want the new, the new life, the new birth. Then what you need is faith. But now some of you are probably thinking, wait a second, you've only actually uh, backed the problem up one step. You haven't actually solved anything great. I need faith, but, but how do I actually get faith? Because I, I know, actually, that faith is not something that I can produce in myself. I've tried. Thankfully, Paul gives us some, some clarity uh, to this, this question in, in Romans chapter 10, uh, right after that famous passage, right, where he promises uh, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He clarifies, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not know how this works, but somehow, mysteriously, God has married the power of the Spirit to the proclamation of the word. Week after week, when we come in here, the Holy Spirit is present in a quiet way, but a powerful way, working faith in our hearts. I have a friend who likes to, to tell a story about uh, a, a girl who was going to his, to his large group, and he said um, she would sort of, uh, at, the, at the end of a spring semester, she started coming and would sit sort of in the back of the room with her arms crossed, and she wouldn't stand when they would sing, and, and she, wouldn't, she wouldn't sing at all. Uh, and as soon as the uh, large group was over, she would sort of bolt out the back, and they'd go home for, for summer, and then come back in the fall. And he said, something changed. And all of a sudden I start seeing this girl and she's, she's not just standing but she's singing loudly and she's got a smile painted across her face and he's like, so I pulled her aside, uh, he says, and he's like, I, 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 I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I just can't help but like notice, um, last semester it looked like somebody was forcing you to be here and something has changed. What, what happened? And she looked at him and, and she said, I have no idea. I don't know what happened. I don't know what changed. All I know is when I started coming to your group, I hated Jesus. And now I love him. The Spirit was quietly working to create new life in her. And it's the same with you and with me. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's turn finally, though, and, and ask the very last question. How do we know? How do we know that, uh, that we have that life, that faith? Um, I think Jesus addresses this in, in verse uh, 19 through, through 21. He says, this is the judgment. Lights come into the world and people who have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what, what is Jesus saying? Basically it is this. There is this, this mistake that we sometimes make with grace. Where we think, okay, grace means Jesus has sort of paid my get out of jail fee. And so now I just get to kind of live my life however I want. Jesus is saying that's not how grace works. Grace actually, the spiritual rebirth actually creates something new in you. And so it actually, what, when you have the spirit, the spirit produces fruit. And you all have heard that fruit, right? 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that when the Spirit comes, he produces those things in our life. There is actually evidence that the Spirit has come and has changed us. So the question to us, I think, is, is just simply, have you been born again? And as soon as I ask that question, there's uh, maybe a handful, maybe many of you, who immediately go to this very, very dark place where you, you read those, uh, that, that fruit of the Spirit, and then you look at your life. Maybe you're thinking about something you did 20 years ago. Maybe you're thinking about something you did last night. And what you're thinking is, there's no way. I don't have it or I don't have enough. How could somebody who still thinks the way that I do, who still acts the way that I do, how could somebody like me have the Spirit? Brothers and sisters, please do not use a different standard of measuring whether or not you are in Jesus' family than Jesus does. See, we look at our lack, but the, the presence of the Spirit at all indicates that we have come to life again. This is how one, one pastor, when he was walking his uh, congregation through questions like these, they would, they, would, they would come to him and they would say, Pastor, Pastor, I, I, I don't know if I'm really saved. And he would say, okay, well, let's sit down. Um, do you love Jesus perfectly? If they had any ounce of, of self-knowledge at all, they would say no. Um, hopefully um, they had some ounce of self-knowledge. Uh, and he would say, okay, you don't love Jesus perfectly. Do you love him at all? Is there even just the slightest little kindling of love for Jesus at all in your heart? And they would often say, yes, yes, there is, but I don't, it's not enough and I, it should be greater by now. And he would say, okay, great. I don't love Jesus as much as I ought to either. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are not naturally poor lovers of Christ. We are naturally enemies. We naturally hate Jesus and everything he stands for. And so if there is even a seed of love for Jesus in your heart that is proof positive that the Spirit has come and maybe even quietly performed a resurrection in your soul. And Paul also promises us that everything the Spirit starts, he finishes. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you know Jesus, if you feel that love, he is with you. He is bringing you safely all the way home. If you do not know Jesus, then the invitation is to come to him. He doesn't have a resume that you have to fill out. He doesn't have a, a test that you can pass. He invites you to come as you are, and there you are going to find the rest that your soul has always been longing for. Let's pray. Jesus, as we follow you, we need your help. We need the presence of your spirit, not just at the beginning, but throughout every moment of our life. So would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you keep us? Would you protect us? Thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, but that you love us. Love us still. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.